one. There it is. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, everybody. It is a beautiful Wednesday out here in San Diego. I hope it's a beautiful day for you all today. We have a great guest who's going to talk to us. You guys see it all around here. Splatterings and art and how it works in therapy. So this will be fun. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Here we are, everybody. Thank you all, as always, for joining us today. Before we jump in the show, just three quick things. One more time, we did it. Woo! I'm celebrating this week. We passed that 100 YouTube subscribers mark, so you can now find us at youtube.com slash practicing polyA. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at practicing polyA. Would love if you follow us there. And now that we've got that, that all covered, if you would be so kind, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you download the podcast. Uh, it's growing a lot. I'm really excited about it, uh, but those reviews will help us show up even higher and higher and higher. So thank you for that. Uh, number two, got two more days, two more days until we get to interview Dr. Eli Chef this Friday at 11 a.m. Uh, to prepare for that, please head over to bondingproject.com. Com. Take the bonding type test to get an idea of your bonding style because we're going to be talking about that on Friday again at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern. And lastly, to remind all of you, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcomed guest on the show. If you're actively polyamorous, if you're polyam curious, or if you're a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. Now, I added some stuff here. So if you're disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kinkster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, ace, arrow, whatever, if I missed you, tell me and I'll add it. I want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, and the better we can serve our community. All right. That's my spiel. So now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on with the show. Today's guest believes that art is an incredibly powerful form of expression, and that is why she incorporates painting and artful expression into her therapy practice. She believes that art can allow us to gain insight into ourselves that may not be obtained through talk therapy alone. Art is just another form of communication, and communication is a key to our guest, both in her relationships and in her therapy practice. She empathizes with her clients, coming from a place of understanding that therapy can be a scary leap of faith that forces us to explore ourselves, where we've been, where we are, and where we hope to go. Tune in to find out more about our guest, and if we're lucky, we might get to see some hairless cats in sweaters. <laughs> Joining us today from across the coast in Pittsburgh, welcome to the show, Molly Gerard. Ooh, welcome, 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 Molly. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course, it's a pleasure. Uh, one thing that I almost I did, I forgot to bring it up, but tell me if that's right. Do I got your uh, Instagram right down there? Yeah, you do. Whoop, whoop. All right. Did a little bit of research beforehand and uh, forgot to ask you about it before we started. But uh, welcome again. Thank you so much. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, about your your journey thus far. You are uh, a therapist and you, you mm -hmm. do 
art therapy more specifically. Tell me a little bit about everything that's led you up to that. Yeah, sure. So um, I started out uh, as like a fine arts major uh, painting in Savannah, Georgia, and I loved it. But after a year, I was like, I will forever be broke. So this is not feasible long term. Um, and I had always also been interested in like psychology and therapy. So I kind of turned that into looking into art therapy. Mm -hmm. um, so I uh, ended up majoring in behavioral health and addictions counseling, minored in fine art, and then uh, got my master's in art therapy with a concentration in counseling. Nice. Very cool. So yeah. how is it different? I mean, I, I barely, I haven't been to any kind of therapy or counseling or anything like that since I was a little kid. Like I had a lot of anger issues as a kid. Yeah. So, you know, mom and dad made me go to the therapist and <laughs> I don't remember what kind of pills they gave me. One was orange, one was green. And apparently that worked. I don't know. I'm better now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I uh, made an appointment actually for uh, a couple of weeks from now to uh, start with a therapist. And I, for me, it's just going to be talking. Um, yeah. But what what is different about art therapy? Like, how is it how is it so much of a different communication style? What do you get from that that you might not get from just talking to a person? Yeah, so there are some different pieces with art therapy. There's art as therapy, which you can do anytime from like your own home. That's kind of like anyone who does art in their free time, quilting, writing, knitting even. Um, just the idea that being able to like express yourself in a creative way can be cathartic and help just like release emotions and kind of give you like some space to be expressive. Um, but then there's this idea also that with art therapy and bringing art into like a therapeutic practice and with different modalities that um, there are different symbols like metaphors, symbolism, and mm -hmm. the ways to process trauma and emotions and past experiences through art uh, expression and art directives that can sort of create a nice middle ground, um, especially for people that are uncomfortable talking about certain things like you would in a normal talk therapy session. That makes a lot of sense. You, you mentioned symbols or symbolism mm -hmm. in art. Is it like, I mean, I, I think of um, cartoons or shows that I've seen where like one kid is drawing people with their arms cut off and blood spurting everywhere or whatever. And like all of a sudden the teacher's like, oh my God, what's going on? Like, you know, that's kind of an extreme, you know, over dramatic case. But right. What are some more like applicable things that you see, uh, you know, when when somebody is, is expressing themselves through art in your practice? Yeah. So um, I think there are different things. I always try to remain curious. Like I don't try to like make assumptions like just because it's red, you have to be angry. Um, but I'll definitely like invite that in through curiosity and say like, I'm noticing that like there's a lot of really like aggressive like brush strokes or like I'm noticing like these really different shapes or pops of color or the way you're like this figure maybe is like off by themselves to the side, like separated from the other things that you made. Um, and I'll kind of ask and like bring out like curiosity to invite them to like either explore what the meaning might mean for them, explore any connections that maybe relate to what we've been talking about, whether that's like family history, trauma, current relationships, like their own mental health on just like a day-to-day -day basis. Um, 
And I mean, some of it is kind of stereotypical. I would be super concerned if someone <laughs> like drew figures with like arms cut off and blood spurting everywhere. We would probably do some like self-harm assessment. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's different forms of symbolism that I think can also be really personal for different people. Got it. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. I'm I'm just learning here. Also coming from a place of curiosity, I, you know, I'll be the first one to say and I love to say it. I don't know stuff. Like I'm just a big fat dummy. I I don't know nothing. So, you know, I ask all kinds of questions because I just never know, you know, what the answers might be. Um, You have been working at this for a a few years now. And one of the things that you wanted to make sure to focus on from the research that I did, uh, you want to make sure that you're open to and affirming of polyamorous folks. Tell me a little bit about your experience with the polyamorous community and why it's important for you to be uh, to be open and, and, and accepting of that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I myself am not polyamorous in like my personal life. Um, but I have some really good friends and people that I would consider like my chosen family who definitely practice polyamory, um, and practice like open relationships. And so by default, like their partners kind of become part of my circle as well. Um, and you know, I've definitely made it a point like through having relationships and like people in my life who are polyamorous to want to be as affirming as possible. And I've also found that as a member of like the LGBTQ community, as someone who identifies as a kinky person, um, there's a lot of overlap. Um, Most of my clients who maybe identify as queer or are like a kinky person, there almost is always some overlap I've found with people who also are in open relationships or exploring and practicing polyamory with their partners. So I find that it all really kind of intertwines a lot. I love that. I I love the idea always going back to that chosen family. Now, as you have kind of been um, learning all of these things, because this is all like in the past four years, I I think it was, that you got uh that you graduated and, and started practicing uh for therapy about that yeah um i graduated it'll be a year since i got my master's in may but i've kind of always been working on the side and like nice. kind of doing like practical work even through school so i've been working with clients probably since like 20 2016 nice nice do you find that like even at home that you're like doing the the oh analyzing people and like all these different things sometimes my partner always is like don't therapize me like let me just like, <laughs> have a conversation with you like don't bring your work home and i'm like all right i'll try i'll try i make it's it. worse it's so much worse <laughs> and you know like i i wanted to kind of get into that like with uh with your your polyamorous friends you know these are part of your chosen family these are people that you spend time with these are people that you know y- you see it a lot because those communities all do overlap quite a bit um what types of things have you learned that you like adapt like is there it's kind of a, that's like a really broad question. So let me see if I can kind of narrow it down a little bit more. Um, have there been any instances, any things that you see that are specifically like polyam, polyam problems, mm-hmm. right? Like a partner's partner is doing this, that, or the other. And how do you bring the things that you've learned in your therapy practice and adapt them to a polyamorous situation? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think 
what I've learned from my chosen family and from like their various partners and the different relationships that they've had over the years. Um, I think it comes down to, as like I kind of stated when we were originally kind of messaging, um, communication, um, especially in the beginning stages where like I've had friends kind of just dipping their toes into opening up their marriage or their relationship or like dipping their toes into, I feel like I'm a polyamorous person. What does that look like? And how do I like sit down with my primary partner or with other people that I'm in a relationship with? And how do we like discuss boundaries and like our terms of agreement and like what we're all comfortable with, especially bringing new people into like our relationship dynamic. And I feel like that comes up, I mean, a lot in therapy in general, because it is about communication, but um, a lot of couples I work with who maybe are exploring like polyamorous dynamics or opening up their marriage or are already in a polyamorous dynamic and are coming to me because maybe they're hitting like a communication rut. Um, I feel like it all sort of like my first question is always like, okay, like, what are the boundaries? Like, did we discuss like what everyone's comfortable with? Like, what are the hard limits? What are negotiable? Um, and I think that also comes from me being a kinky person as well. Mm-hmm. So, like negotiation. Yeah, there's a lot that goes with communication and being like super clear and upfront from the get go so that everyone's on the same page. Yeah. A lot of people definitely skip that part. Um I know in in my own situation, we didn't necessarily talk a lot about boundaries. We kind of figured them out as we go along. Um, What are some common boundaries? My girlfriend actually has a list. One of these days, I'm going to ask her if I can see it. Um, She's listening either now or she's going to listen later. So she knows, but uh, one of these days, like I want to see like, what's your boundary list? Do you recommend people that actually like, write these things out and what are some suggested boundaries? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm personally a fan for writing things out just because I like seeing things in front of me. So I'm always a fan for that, but it doesn't work for everyone. And that's totally fine. Um, I just think even the idea of like everyone sitting down and having like a super open conversation from the beginning or even as bumps come up, like, okay, like we're hitting some tension, like, where's this coming from? Um, I think boundaries for a lot of people in polyamorous relationships kind of circle around like time spent and what does that look like? Um, Like splitting time equally between partners, like making sure everyone feels like there's open communication and that one person isn't feeling like left out of a dynamic or is, you know, spending less time with people or like a certain partner than maybe the other people. Um, And I think that comes with just even being an adult and having any relationship, like navigating work schedules, navigating life, like navigating how to be intimate and like the craziness of day-to-day life too. So when you add multiple partners, there's going to be multiple layers of communication to work through. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. We're going places for sure. So time (laughs) time management is definitely a big one, making sure that, uh, that we are spending time with our different partners or, or discovering making boundaries of what time we want, even to ourselves. Mm-hmm. What are some, uh, some other boundaries? What are some other like suggested things? Like what other things should somebody new mm-hmm. be looking at around their boundaries? Um, any other suggestions like sex, maybe like what type yeah. of sex or, um, whatever what other kind of stuff that should, should we be talking about when we when we're having the boundary conversation i mean sex is always important i think if you're having the boundary conversation um it doesn't even have to be like 
if you're kinky or not kinky. Um, I think the idea of like, what does sex mean for each partner? Like how often do they want to be sexually intimate with someone? Um, is there something that they like are comfortable engaging in or is really important for them with their sex practice versus someone who maybe is like, that's a hard limit for me. Like, I don't do that. That's kind of triggering for me or it's traumatizing. Like, I can't give you that. And then if, you know, once you bring in other people and it becomes a multi-person dynamic um, outside of just a partnership, you know, how is like safety considered even like, um, what are safe sex practices when there's multiple people involved, you know, what does that look like um, between different people wanting to have different sexual dynamics within their relationship? Um, I think those are always really important to talk about. Um, and I also always suggest people like as ridiculous as this may sound, I'm like, have like a kitchen table meeting, like once mm -hmm. a month, once every two or three weeks, you sit down and just check in because that way if someone is frustrated if there's like tension building like why don't we try to like address it before it gets to a point where it like blows up and we're like where did this come from right yeah um i don't know if you're referring to this specifically but uh that makes me think of the uh radar that uh the multi-amory the folks over at the multi-amory podcast that's what they recommend is mm -hmm. is a radar and that's exactly what you're talking about every depending on the relationship, if it's a newer one, maybe it's like every couple of weeks, or if it's, you know, even an older relationship that kind of needs to a more check-in times, maybe it's every two weeks or every month or whatever, but it creates that safe space where we have the opportunity to have those tough conversations. It doesn't feel like an attack coming out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the other point that I wanted to kind of discuss here, uh, since we're talking about boundaries, is that boundaries are always about what I'm willing to accept for mm -hmm. myself, boundaries that I make for myself, as opposed to rules that we would place on another person. Mm -hmm. So just kind of, um, could you explain in your words, because I know what my definition is, but could you explain in your words the, def the difference between rules and boundaries? Yeah, for sure. So for me, I feel like a boundary is negotiable to an extent. Like um, if I have a couple that's maybe talking about opening up their marriage into like a polyamorous dynamic and they're like not sure where to start, I always tell them that, you know, boundaries can be renegotiated. You know, we can start at one place and in a, a couple months, like we want to bring something up and say like, hey, I know we set this boundary, but I kind of want to look at it from a different perspective. Like I want to like negotiate this. I think boundaries are coming from a point of safety and communication and can always be negotiated, um, you know, with consent, obviously. Um, I find rules to be more like a hard and fast. And I think that kind of goes with the idea that like everything should have consent behind it, you know, um, honesty, being super upfront, because obviously when you take the communication and the, you know, the ethical part out of you take the ethical part out of ethical non-monogamy, it's, it's just having an affair, which is right. what polyamory is. And I feel mm -hmm. like rules tend to center on those really hard and fast, like okay. what is like straight unacceptable. Got it. Got it. So it's it, for you, it's more like something that's negotiable that has kind of some room to move and, and that's okay. All right. Um, that's a little bit different than, than a lot of the, um, a lot of the definitions that I've seen, uh, at least, you know, when, when I've, uh, when I've done, you know, any kind of research, the boundary is a person that 
is something that, like I said, I would set for myself. So like mm-hmm. my boundary is I'm not going to have sex with somebody who has unprotected sex with multiple people. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas a rule is telling somebody you're not allowed to do that. So, yeah, but, but I like, I like your definition. Cause it, it gives a little bit of leeway for the relationships to adjust as, as they grow. Mm-hmm. And I think you do bring up a good point about rules. I think I like to, I guess the only reason I didn't like take it from that perspective originally is I feel like telling someone what they're not allowed to do. Like, I, I don't know, like I'm cautious about that. Cause I always mm-hmm. feel like relationships are about that communication and that compromise. So I feel like it can be a really slippery slope, at least from what I've seen in like all couples therapy, even like when someone's like, you are not allowed to do this. I'm always like, I remember having a conversation like that. Oh, all these years ago, it was like, um, I, I, I had, um, I felt like I was addicted to weed right. Uh, before, before I joined the Navy, then I joined the Navy and I didn't touch it for like eight years, but then I get out of the Navy and like, I tried it out a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know, it was okay, but then like I would sometimes like not have a good experience. Mm-hmm. And so like, so then, you know, my wife goes and and this is back in when, when California actually needed like the medical cards yeah. and like she, yeah. she wanted to, to kind of start smoking and she was like, she was like, all right, well, I'm going to start. And I'm like, no, like, don't do this. Don't start. Don't. And she's like, oh, are you trying to tell me what to do? She goes, I ignored my destiny once. She goes, she gets the card, she comes home with a bunch, and I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. And, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Try and tell Fine. me. I'll do it myself. <laughs> Try and tell people what to do. It's just not going to work. So um, tell me a little bit of, of, uh, more about your practice, your growth, uh, some, some of the more, like, meaningful things that you've learned um about like about polyamorous relationships uh you know there there, there's we have nuances right there are specific things that that we do differently from everybody else um and you know i kind of want to dig into in your practice especially if you're practicing like through through art like how does how does that like how do you get a, a polyamorous feel through art like what is what kind of art what what does it tell you um i think it really depends on you know what the client or if it's multiple clients like coming in as like a couple or like a, a dynamic in a group um like what they're here for because i feel like everyone's story is going to kind of come through in the art um and you know what they're looking for is going to come through in the art so if i'm you know, working with a couple or working with someone who individually, who's even like within a poly dynamic. Um, and we're like talking about maybe like communication issues and, you know, we're, we're doing some art surrounding that. Um, I find that, you know, and maybe this is just because I do a lot of family systems work too. Um, I find that a lot of pieces kind of come in from like, what they grew up seeing, like, what did relationships look like to you when you were growing mm. up? Like, what did it mean to be in a family? What did communication mean in a committed relationship? Or did you not see that growing up? Where you know, were you raised by a single parent, or um, did you like bounce around between multiple homes, or like have different caretakers? 
Um, I think all of these things come together and impact the way we view relationships and how we interact with our relationships with primary partners, with multiple partners, single. Um, and then I think that kind of all manifests in like the different relationships we have. So I found that with a lot of my clients, it's a lot of like, okay, so what, what messages did you receive about communication and about relationships growing up? You know, what were past relationships like for you and what did those look like? Um, and I think that comes out a lot through the art and we can talk a lot about those things, especially if there was maybe some trauma involved. I love it. Have, have you seen things change, uh, especially in the past year that we've all been so isolated? Um, what, what is, <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but like, there's, there's, there's so much yeah, more of a need now for mental is. health services. What are you seeing out there? You know, the, the way that things have changed for you. We were on a break! <laughs> <laughs> Take a 12-month break. <laughs> right, seriously. Um, I think that people are more open to mental health services. Um, I can't tell you the number of people that when I have my first session with them, they're like, you know, I didn't think I needed therapy or I wanted mental health services, but I literally have been like sitting at home for a year and I've had like all this time to think about things and to process mm -hmm. things and suddenly like, you know... I'm struggling to communicate with my partner or partners, or I'm having memories from when I was younger that are impacting my relationships and are impacting my mental health. So I feel like being forced to sit still for a lot of people has kind of pushed them to be like, oh damn, there's more that I wanna like focus on than I realized, or more is like coming up for me than I realized because I'm not running everywhere doing things right now. Yeah, do you feel, I'm curious about like how, how the process works. Uh, you know, if you start talking to a client, like, do you just automatically have them like sit down and draw a picture or uh, do you talk to them first? Like, how does, how does the process go? Um, it kind of depends on what they're looking for. I always tell people that, you know, I like to go at their pace and kind of take their lead on things. Um, you know, I might make suggestions or like be curious about things. Like I wonder what would happen if, you know, we took some time to make some art exploring X, Y, Z, like what this feels like for you, what this looks like for you. Um, but I have some clients that come to me and are like, I have some trauma that I'm working on. I'd love to do art, but I'm not ready right now. And so like, I kind of, I'm like, okay, we'll take it at your pace. Like I'll follow your lead when you're ready. We'll talk about it. Um, or I even have some people that kind of dip in and out. We'll talk about stuff for a while and just do like straight talk therapy. And then if something kind of important or meaningful seems to come up, um, you know, I might invite and say like, hey, like between now and next session, um, you know, if you're open to it, maybe sit down, take some time to make some art or explore X, Y, Z. And then like next session, we'll sit and we'll talk about it and we'll see like what came up for you, if anything, if nothing, no big deal. And what do you direct them on like what kind of art that they should be drawing? Like, you know, I don't know if they're having problems with their with one of their partners or multiple partners. Is it like draw a picture of how you feel about your partners or like, do you give them instructions on, on what to draw or, or how to express themselves in art? Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Um, sometimes if people have been making like already identifies being artistic people and they're like, Oh, I do art all the time. Like I got this. I'll be like, okay, cool. Like I'll follow your lead. Um, I think for some people that are really interested in art therapy, but have never really done 
or experienced art before or haven't they're like I haven't done art since I was in like grade school um I might suggest things um I might suggest or like offer ideas of like well I wonder what it would be like for you to make art about what you wish things had looked like or how things could be different or you know if you could go back to like this period of time when you know this trauma happened like what do you wish like your adult self could do for your child self or you know what do you wish communication looked like right now between you and your partners like what dynamics are like coming up for you um and I'll kind of like see what they're feeling and usually my clients are pretty open with me like if I suggest something and they're like I don't know if this is touching on what I want to touch on I'll be like okay cool so let's talk about it like what do you feel like you're needing from the art like what do you need right now to feel like you're getting what you want to process things Nice. So it's it's not a show up and draw me a picture and we're going to talk about what you what you drew. It's like, let's have conversations. Let's, you know, really have like that talk therapy. But those those monumental moments, those big ideas, those big instances, those big events, that's where you're like, OK, we need to we want to get in a little bit deeper by expressing through art. I yeah. believed in you for a long time. OK. yeah I think so I think so um and I think it's also about when people are ready um you know I've had some clients where we'll just start off and I'm like make a self-portrait I'm like make a collage about stuff that you think I should know about you like what's important what's not important um or you know if they're really struggling and they're not ready to talk we might sit down pre-COVID times, we might sit down in the same room and like make art together and just sort of like, and like share the space. And like when they're ready, usually people will come and they'll like open up and they'll talk when they're safe. And it's about like providing that safe space until they feel comfortable. Nice, nice. So they, you got, you will actually sit down and, and work on some art right alongside them to kind of give them that courage, help them through it. That's cool. Yeah, it's harder in COVID. I'll admit that telehealth art therapy is a weird challenge. Um, it's a lot <laughs> easier when you're in the same space. I, I just want to know, like, what are those challenges? Tell me a little bit more about about what you've seen through telehealth art therapy. Um, I set a lot more like homework for my clients, which sounds so bad, but it's true. Um, because it's so much harder to like ignore my cat. <laughs> um, that wasn't uh, a hairless one. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Um, It's so much harder to be able to be in the space and like watch someone make art through a camera because like the art's in front of them. They're usually looking down. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like hard to see the process. So what I'll usually invite people to do, um, uh, younger kids are a little different, but usually with like adults and like teenagers, um, I'll invite them like in between session, like to make art. Um, and usually we'll talk about maybe like what that prompt looked like, looks like or what that directive might look like. Um, and then they'll like usually email me or text me pictures. So then when we kind of meet up again, like I have a copy on my end, they have a copy on their end and we can both kind of look at it. Um, because if I'm in person, I usually sit right next to them or with them. So we're looking at the art at the same time and from the same perspective and like we'll process it together in the space. What about digital art? 
I love digital art. Um, I personally am not a digital artist. I have so much respect for people who are, but um, I have some clients that love doing digital art and they'll send me, you know, the PDFs or if we were in person pre-COVID, they would um, bring their laptop or their tablet with them and be like, hey, like I made this this week. Like, can we sit down and look at this? And we would, we'd like sit and look at their laptop or their tablet and we'd like kind of process what was going on with it. Um, I think it's another way to like really get some cool creativity out there and it's super portable, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it doesn't have to be paint brush to paper necessarily. It can be a digital thing. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Molly, uh, thank you again for spending some time with us. I want to give you an opportunity for anybody who's listening. Okay. We have our, our listening audience uh, checking out the podcast. Uh, what is the best way for somebody to get in touch with you if they want to work with you? Yeah, for sure. So um, you're welcome to DM me through my Instagram um, or I answer my email. Um, so it's my last name, which you can see on my tag. So G-I-R-A-R-D dot therapy at gmail.com. All right, perfect. So there's that email. And then for uh, those following on Instagram, it's splatter underscore paint underscore therapy underscore. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much again, Molly. It's been such a pleasure to learn from you and learned a little bit about art therapy today. I like it. Thank you for having me. All right. I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. There's another kind of art right there. Yes. Some musicals. <laughs> I love it. Uh, here we go. Great conversation from Elle. Thank you. Uh, great conversation. I resonate with I didn't know I needed therapy. That was me a year and a half ago. And so many others out there, uh, myself being one of them, I, I really did. I signed up for a therapy session um, in a couple of weeks, and I haven't done it in forever. So um, thank you, Molly, for giving us that space to say, hey, it's okay if we didn't know. Now we know. <laughs> and uh as i was about to say thank you also to our live audience for tuning in as a reminder when we're live you get no commercial interruptions but the same cannot be said for our podcast download so if you want to avoid those commercial interruptions be sure to catch us monday through wednesday at 2 30 pacific time or sign up for our patreon where you'll get access to our commercial free rss feed and support the show don't forget to head over to bondingproject.com between now and friday so you'll know what dr eli chef and i are talking about and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Uh, thanks again, as always, for hanging out. And thank you again, Molly. Everybody else, it's Wednesday. It's beautiful out. At least you're in San Diego. So <laughs> go out there. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com.